0: TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. The Northern California Land Back Symposium 2023 was a day-long event at Cal Poly Humboldt in Arcada, held on March 24. Panels discussed public and private land return, land-grant universities, indigenous land trusts, and legal recommendations. The Land Back Symposium broke many taboos and told the story how a powerful movement of land return is spreading across the world and, at least in California, has even reached some support by state government. The opening session began with a welcome from Chairman Ted Hernandez of the WIAT tribe, followed by Geneva Thompson the Assistant Secretary for Tribal Affairs at the California Natural Resources Agency, and ended with a talk by Dr. Katcha Wisling baldy on land histories and decolonial land futures. Here's Regina Chichizola.
1: I get to introduce today our first welcome speaker, Ted Hernandez, Chairman Ted Hernandez of the Wiat Tribe. We're very glad that he could join us today to welcome us to WiAT territory here at Cal Poly Humboldt. We occupy Wiyot lands. We are here in Gootini or among the redwoods. We're very glad that we're able to um, have a really lasting and ongoing relationship with our local area tribes. All right, I'm going to bring up Ted Hernandez to do a nice uh, welcome to Wiyot territory for
2: everyone. Ted Hernandez. I am the Tribal Chairman for the Wiyot Tribe as we know. Can we all just stand for a quick blessing? got with Creator, I just want to thank you for gathering us all here today so we can share stories and we can learn from one another on how to get our land back that we can honor you and celebrate the ceremonies that you have put us here on these lands to do. I ask that you watch all the ones that are traveling right now as we speak to make it here safely. And when they go home back to their lands to make it home safely to be with their families we God with Creator, I just thank you for the elders that you give us to provide us our stories and our next generation, the younger generation, to continue the fight and the battle that we see. we God with Creator, I just thank you for everything you do for us, for the We up people and for all the indigenous communities as you continue to bless us and continue to show us the right way to go. we with Creator, just thank you for this amazing day and just watch over everybody today and just allow questions to be answered and so career, I also like that you open everybody's mind so they can see why we do this and see what the purpose is. So we with prayer just thank you. Oh, thank you guys. And I just wanna say, welcome to our homeland. We got country and enjoy your day. I know we have no rain right now, but it probably will start raining again. So make sure you have your umbrellas and your jackets huh? because Creator is washing this van and he's taking care of us. So thank you guys for being here and ho. Oh
3: we're really amazed and lucky to have the State of California committing to tribal land return. And with that, I would like to introduce um, Geneva Thompson. Geneva Thompson um, joined the California Natural Resource Agency in June of 21 as the Assistant Secretary for Tribal Affairs, where she works to ensure the participation and inclusion of tribal governments and communities within the work of the State um, Natural Resources Agency. She previously served as the, as the Associate General Counsel for the Yurok Tribe, where she practiced environmental and cultural resource law and represented the tribe in the state, tribal, and federal forums. Geneva is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and enjoys beating, gardening, and hiking with her spouse in the state and national parks. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much, Regina, um, and also a huge Wado, and thank you, Chair Hernandez, for um, opening us up today. Um, and for the WIOP people for having us here on your lands. And so, Wato, and thank you for having us. A huge appreciation for uh, the invitation to join today's conference and the important conversation around ancestral land return. As introduced and um, as the secretary mentioned, I'm the uh, first ever assistant secretary for tribal affairs at the California Natural Resources Agency. And it's an exciting role um, because I really do see that the state is trying to shift its practices Um, policies and programs really to uh, strengthen partnerships with tribes. And part of my role in that is to ensure that our departments underneath the agency umbrella, as well as all of the environmental and natural resources policies coming out of the agency, really uh, integrates tribal priorities throughout those policies to ensure that we are taking a critical look at the historical wrongs that's been committed and then addressing those wrongs in the spirit of truth and healing. Uh, And the only way that we can truly do that is through uh, early, often, and meaningful government-to-government consultation and really shaping those consultations and conversations we're having with tribes towards a collaborative partnership instead of a box-checking, letter-sending exercise that I'm sure many of you here today uh, have experienced in the past. So that's an exciting part of the role is really to think about how we can do better here at the state. Uh, and then institutionalize those best practices. And so it lives past this administration. We all know here in the room today ancestral land return is a high priority that we've been hearing from tribes in our consultations uh, and also as directed by Governor Newsom in his statement of administrative policy on ancestral land return. And that's a particular area and policy that we're really excited to roll up our sleeves on and focus our energies, monies, and efforts towards. A part of Shifting our environmental and natural resources policies towards partnering with tribes is a good example of that is shown through our nature based solutions uh, work, including the development of two strategies, the natural working lands climate smart strategy and the pathways to 30 by 30 strategy, which. Uh, if folks have a moment to look at those two strategies you'll see tribal priorities are built throughout all of the goals and objectives laid out in those two strategies, as well as. The core commitments to how the state implements those policies includes uh, strengthening partnerships, with tribes, and so all of the money that's coming out of the agency. For these nature based solutions projects have that core commitment to partner with tribes and are encouraging all folks who are trying to do. um, and implement nature based solutions projects, including the purchase of land, including for the conservation of property should be working towards partnering with tribes. Another key component to our commitment to partnering our tribes is the establishment of the new tribal nature-based solutions program, which includes $70 million that was appropriated by the legislature last September uh, to fund tribal priorities, the big priority being that ancestral land return, uh, and ensuring that there's money and support and policies in place to support tribal priorities in in the nature-based solutions work. Um, but wanted to share a little bit about what we're trying to do here at Agency, uh, and really just express my deep appreciation for the invitation to be here with you all today, have this conversation with everyone, um, and also learn more from um, tribal leaders, cultural leaders, um, and the experts who have been doing this work, you know, well before I, with the state of California, has. And so, Wado, and thank you so much for the opportunity to, to join you all today for this important conversation.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome. My name is Charlie Reed, Education Director. Hoopa, you're person as well, um, and it is my honor to introduce you all to our next speaker, somebody who is a personal mentor to me as well as professional and academic mentor, Dr. Katchervisling Baldy.
1: Hey, young Killett, I am Dr. Katchervisling Baldy. I am the Department Chair and an Associate Professor of Native American Studies here at Cal Poly Humboldt. I'm also Hoopa Yurk and Kadiuk and enrolled in the Hoopa Valley Tribe. Happy to be here today in this space, but also just in general, being able to talk about land back and really thinking about land back as something that can bring people together uh, in a conversation about what the world is going to look like next. The work that we do as native peoples is always to be thinking forward. We we sometimes say seven generations forward. And I think uh, in the context of Land Back, we're we're really thinking about our future generations. We're thinking about the way that we want the world to be and the way that we can work together to make the world uh, rebalanced in a way that we've always talked about the world where we lived. Um, I did an interview one time with a reporter about Land Back and they asked me, when do you think the Land Back movement began? And I paused and I said, 1493. Um, I just think as long as we've been having to deal with this invasion of settler colonialism, we've been thinking about how are we going to rebuild the futures that we know need to happen here in these spaces. And it has been an ongoing conversation. So when people come to me and they say Land Back is a new conversation, or it's it's become such a, a fashionable thing right now, or it's something everybody wants to talk about, and it's brand new, I like to remind them that it's actually hundreds upon hundreds of years of discussion, activism, movement, policy, political interventions that native peoples throughout all nations have been since the beginning talking about what it would mean to reclaim and rebuild their lands, their ceremonies, their waters, their fish, their acorns, their foods. It's not something that we stopped talking about. And I like to think about our peoples and the ways that they were navigating This attempted genocide of us and that they even through that they were thinking about the futures. They were talking about what was going to happen on the days where we brought things back. They weren't talking about the end of us. They were talking about the futures of us, and they were willing to work as long as it took to make those things happen. And I think about that a lot as we start this conversation around land back. I think about what it means to just begin a conversation. What I always tell people is, in an indigenous context, nothing can become until you story it into being. This is the way we begin everything, is with a story. When you start talking about it in a story, then it can come into being. It says, oh, they they need me around. They want to have this conversation. And then things kind of happen from there. So when we start talking about land back, it's storying into being what the world could be. It's looking at the fact that we've been working for this for hundreds of years and i want us to think about that in the context of the things that we're doing today when they were talking about what is the future going to look like when they were talking about the future seven generations they were talking about us we should also be willing to do the hard work that it takes to make land back possible even if that's going to take us 50 75 or 100 years i get invited to a lot of places now to do land back talks I think really what they want me to do is just be the person who comes in and is like you should give all the land back. Um and then they can all like freak out on me and most times people just freak out on me when I do that. When I come into a space and I'm like you should give all the land back. Uh they're like freak out. Um I got invited actually to talk at a very fancy big museum one time and they were like can you come in and talk to us about decolonizing the museum and I said okay. So I came in And I was like, you wanted to colonize your museum, they said yes, I said you should give all your stuff back. Um, At the end of that I was like end of talk. Uh, Because it's like always people sort of like trying to kind of come up with reasons why it's not possible. And now when I get to go places and say we should give all the land back, they go like, what does land back even look like? And I'm like, I actually can show you, I can show you videos that have been made. and..." reports that have been written. I can show you ways that people have given land back. I can tell you it doesn't look the same anywhere. And it's very specialized to what's happening in the space that you come from, but you should want to do that work, whatever that work looks like. I can also tell you it can sometimes take a very long time, but it to me is the first step. And sometimes people will say to me, well, so so you start with like, educating people or outreaching to people or talking about what and I was like, no, we just give the land back and move from there. And then they're like, but well, how do I do that? And I said, I don't know, just give it back. I just have this feeling I'm gonna do these talks. These talks that I come into because I, I call them inception. And I'm like, my job is to come in and just tell you, like, it's possible, it's beautiful, it's amazing, it's really cool, it's probably the best thing that you could do, uh, it's the thing that's going to put you on the map, it's the thing that people are going to talk about, I give like the inspirational, I show them examples, I tell them what it looks like, and then I'm like, but it'll just sit there, and then when I went to one conference, I was like, what's going to happen is you're going to listen to me, and then you're like, going to go get your Teslas, and you're going to be like, that gave me a lot to think about, Um and then you're going to drive around for a while and then maybe like two years from now you're gonna be like I don't know why but i'm still thinking about this thing that was said to me and it's going to get in your brain and it's going to just build and grow, because this is the place that we should have always started from. I tell students a lot what's happening is we live in a culture and society where things don't make sense settler colonialism, if you think about it makes zero sense whatsoever. Manifest destiny is not a thing. Uh, that is not a real thing that's a thing somebody made up one day we all act like that's a thing we get taught that that's a thing this idea that somehow patriarchy is supposed to be the way that we organize our world that's also not a thing we all know that's not the way the world's supposed to be organized but when we walk around we're like it doesn't make a lot of sense how we live here i always say to people settler colonialism won't even give you a house it won't even give you the food you need to eat It won't even give you the things you need to live every day. How can we think that makes sense? If there's a singular person in our society that doesn't have the things that they need to be cared for, how does that make sense? So this whole system doesn't make sense. And when you start doing the things that make sense, actually the world around you responds in a really beautiful way. For instance, when you start taking dams down. Uh, when they first started doing the um scientific sort of like studies about what they thought was going to happen when dams got taken down it came from a really big place of fear as if the dams had always been there and the other thing I think is funny is they built these dams with no plans for like what to do with the fish and I was like that's how little it made sense they built a giant concrete wall in front of fish and they were like that's a good idea But I was like, and now they start talking about what it means to take it down, and they get scared. They're like, what happens? What's it going to look like? And their projections, like projections that came from scientists were always like, if we take dams down, it's going to take 50 to 100 years for that ecosystem to recover. But what you're signing up for is destroying the ecosystem as you take the dam down and having to help restore it and recover it because of what's happening in that area. And the thing I love about Native people is they were like, yeah, we know. Like you, you did that. that. That's the thing you did. Now we have to fix it. And we're willing to take 50 to 100 years to fix it. We're not going anywhere. This is where we've always lived. So yes, we understand that. But guess what? They started taking down dams in various places around the world. And what they found is that the ecosystem bounces back in way less time. It's more like 10 to 15 to 20 years, if not faster. Because that's the way the land wants to be. It's what we've always needed it to be. So, when we talk about land return, I think we have a lot of um, evidence. We have a lot of research that's been done to demonstrate that land return increases biodiversity for everyone. That much of the biodiversity that still exists in this world is already on Indigenous lands. When you give lands back to Indigenous peoples, they functionally restore them, not just for human beings or Homo sapiens human beings, but for our more than human relatives, all human beings that live here, our fish our bears, our trees, our mountains. We think about all the things that we're restoring that land for. And the land that's often returned, which I think you'll notice in the Land Back Report, is never like the functionally best land that they could return. It's land that has been scarred by colonialism, that has been taken apart by colonialism. They're then generously giving that back to tribes. And tribes are now saying, we will take on the responsibility that we have had for time and memorial to rebuild that land, to make it something that everybody can use. Land Back is a movement for everyone. Now, the spaces in which I occupy include Cal Poly Humboldt. I do want to say that Cal Poly Humboldt is responsible right now for an 884-acre forest in Weot territory that was gifted to them, Uh, although there's a whole story behind that, a couple of years ago. Uh, the first question I asked once that happened, I actually wrote a letter that said, um, did we ask if the Wiat tribe wanted that land? It's in Wiat territory. It's 884 acres. It includes the Chikoba Creek watershed. Um, it also would functionally return forested land to the Wiat peoples, of which they did not at the time have any. I will say that there was a lot of fear that came out of a lot of people from this campus when I asked the question. They were like, what is she trying to do? And then I said, give it back to the LEAT. I don't know, I don't want it, I don't need to do it. And I was like, it's not even ours, we just got it. And I think this conversation has to come from a place of that it's possible because all I kept hearing was that it would be too hard, too difficult, too much work that would have to do. What about this, what about that? And I think we have to start from a place of, let's see what we can do to make it possible. So I highly encourage you, if you're interested in something like that, like a massive land return from the university, it would be an opportunity for anybody to pick up an email right right now and say, you should give the Jacoba Creek Forest back to the WIAT. Because I think there's more of us than they think. But what I like to point out to people, because after I'll give these talks is they'll come up and they'll ask me some really key questions. And I just wanna get those out of the way as we're having these kinds of conversations. The first is, Well, sometimes people come up to me and be like, you want me to give, you want all the land to get given back? You want all the land to go back? And I say, yes. And I'm like, all of it? And I was like, yep. And then they go, like, you want my house? And then I'll say, yeah, I'll take your house. That sounds great. But I like to point out a couple of key things. In the United States of America, private land ownership is over 60% of the land ownership. However, when you look at the spectrum of the United States of America on the West Coast, land is primarily owned by the federal government and the state government. So a lot of lands are actually in state and federal hands already. So sometimes I'm like, I'm not really talking about you. I'm talking about the federal and state government need to think about what it would mean to really look at land return. The second thing I'll tell people is then on top of that, there's like, three families who own millions of acres of California, Oregon, and Washington. So maybe I'm only talking about those three people. And maybe we all have to sort of like start having a conversation about why do you need to own millions of acres of land when there are some tribes in California that own none? It actually should not functionally be possible for that to happen. And then what does it mean? And I'll just point this out that one of those families is the family that donated the 884 acre forest to Cal Poly Humboldt. So when they came to me, they were like, Petra, why are you trying to take this forest away from Humboldt? And I was like, I'm really not. I actually think it builds a better relationship with the Wiat tribe if they own it and we work with them. But I said, I'm really done celebrating colonial institutions passing wealth to each other. And I really feel like it's time that we call them out for what it means that they keep wealth between each other. And they don't think about what happened to tribes, the removal of tribes, the taking of lands, the actual walking of tribes on longest walks. So you talk about the Trail of Tears that happened in California. It happened to tribes throughout California. There were certain instances where they gathered up tribes and they walked them off cliffs into the ocean and they had to swim back to safety. They Terminated tribes illegally and took their lands from them and said, You abandoned these areas when you were terminated. The tribes had to sue to get that back. They did everything they could. They seized our lands through state and national parks, they seized them through building universities and all of that. And we're still being asked to be grateful when they want to co manage land with us. And I'm like, We can co manage why can't the tribe be the primary owner of that land sometimes people tell me a little bit radical they're like you're very radical and then I was like I don't know if radical is like I think everybody should be able to have food and a house to live in I feel like that's like the least radical thing you could say Uh, I think we should return land that was stolen from tribes but apparently feels very radical so I always tell people like I need you to sit with it I know afterwards people will come up and they'll be like but what about this Uh, I often get handwritten letters sent to me in the mail front and back from people being like let me tell you why you were wrong and the talk that you gave fair warning if you're planning to do that I always use it in my next talk so I will give examples I'm going to and respond to this but I will tell you that a lot of the times people come up and what they're really kind of trying to work through is the fear that gets instilled in you as you live in a settler colonial culture that somehow everybody thinks about Land management and what a country looks like, and how we live together the way that settler colonialism does. Like, we're all going to make sure that we build our societies in the way that we have here, and not a vision where we actually live well together. And I feel like tribal peoples from the beginning were saying, We're supposed to live here together, we're supposed to find a way to be here together. Now we're not gonna join as nations, we will maintain our sovereignty, but we will share this space. And part of that is we have to maintain a relationship with each other. And that relationship has to be deeply full of trust and consistent moments where we come together to build and make that relationship possible. And that's what they were trying to do long-term with their treaties, with their engagements, with the way that they helped different nations that were coming into their territories. And what happened was, is we get instilled with this idea that everybody everybody would conquer this place and take if they could and i don't think that that's the case so people will ask me like what is it really like so i'll say this i was there when they returned the sacred island of Tuvalu to the wiat and i was really fortunate that they invited me to do a talk and i was there when they were going through the process of What it looked like because it was sort of like, what do you do? How do you actually sort of what does it look like to return land? And I tell people the thing I recognize in that moment is that land return is actually how you experience joy. It's so full of joy. And it was probably one of the happiest rooms I've been in in a number of years. And this was across the community spectrum of people. There were hundreds of people in a room together celebrating the return of this island. And it was so full of happiness and joy. So people say like, what is Land Back? I'm like, it's joy. It's actually what it feels like to build community and relationship. It's actually how we're supposed to live together. And it meant for us that we were doing the work that we were supposed to be doing. It was something that we all felt an ease, an ease together in that moment. And so, I want to tell people as we talk about some of these more difficult subjects for some people, the thing I keep reminding myself is the end goal, the return, that's the moment of actual joy that we all get to experience. And that joy comes from, I think, a space of knowing that what we're returning is not just land and it's not just wealth and it's not just security. It's actually our return to a place that has known us. Since the beginning of time, it's a place that we have always been and will always be. And what I like to remind people about Tuluat is that it remembers remembers a world before colonialism. It knows it. It has felt it. It has seen it. And so have we. Indigenous peoples are the people who know before colonialism. It also means we know after. We know there's an after. And we're building toward what that looks like. And I think about how I listened to Cheryl Seidner, um, the spiritual leader of the We Up Peoples, and she was talking about how the day after the Tuluat, the massacre on Tuluat, um, they came and they there was a woman who was still alive there, and she was stuck in the mud. And uh, she said she was singing. That's what they said about her. She was singing. And Cheryl said she thinks she was singing a morning song, like M-O-U-R. A morning song. And I think about in that moment what it must have been like to see the destruction around you and think, I have to sing a song so that my people can go to the next world. And that's, I think, what we're doing. We're building that together. We're building a song for the future. We're building steps forward. I think we should all get excited about that. I'm looking forward to the conversations we're having today. I wanna thank you all for coming. At the end of a story, and Hoop always say, hi, Nantech, that means like, that's it, it's the end. But what it actually means is it like reaches so far. So I hope you take these moments forward and whatever you can build in whatever communities you come from, you do that work to say the radical visionary thing out loud. Thank you so much.
0: That was Dr. Katja Wisling Baldy. Cal Poly Humboldt's Native American Studies Department Chair. She spoke at the Northern California Land Back Symposium 2023, a day-long gathering at Cal Poly Humboldt in Arcada on March 24. You can find videos of all sessions on the website of californiasalmon.org. Coming up, when TUC Radio returns, are highlights from the panel on University and College Land Grants, a.k.a. Land Grabs. My name is Maria Gelarden. Thank you for listening.